0: This is Radio Atlantic. I'm Isaac Dover. Well, this is what happens when we take a break. We left for the holidays, and now it's the new year, and we're talking about maybe being at war with Iran. We don't know what will happen next, and neither do many people in Washington who would normally know more. So this week we decided to sit down with one of those people, someone who can give us some perspective not just on where the president is taking us, but also on the stakes on the ground. Ruben Gallego is a congressman from Arizona who sits on the Armed Services Committee. He's also a combat veteran who served as a Marine in Iraq. We sat down in his office on Capitol Hill the morning after Iran's missile strikes, right before President Trump spoke and announced new sanctions. As we got settled and turned on the mics, we were talking about the missile attacks. When Gallego was in Iraq, he often came under mortar fire. The experience can be frightening, he said, but like so many things in life, it can be insane what a person can get used to. We used to get so much uh,
1: mortar fire that we used to just play games with it. Like, (laughs) it's really ridiculous stuff. Like, we'd be playing poker outside and the first round hits, and there was a rule that whoever stuck around the longest got to win, irrespective of who had the best hand.
0: Later, he admitted he was usually the first one to run. Sometimes he'd wait one round, but usually not more than that. So you can understand why I wanted to sit down with him. We talked about how the political debate filters down to the troops on the ground, or doesn't. We're in a moment of potential escalation. Gallego felt that impulse for revenge firsthand, seeing friends blown up and shot. That's part of what makes him warn against being consumed by that cycle now. Take a listen. Congressman Ruben Gallego, thanks for being here on Radio Atlantic.
1: Thank you for having me. Happy New Year.
0: So let's start with an easy one. Uh, Are we at war?
1: No, uh, but it doesn't doesn't mean that we're not in conflict um, and we don't know what kind of war we're looking at and we don't know how long it's going to take. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of levels to this, uh, including, uh, I think, some dark kind of war that may be happening for all we know. Uh, so it's a very dangerous situation.
0: We're talking about Iraq again, which uh, I think for most Americans, it's just been part of the background mm-hmm. of our lives for 30 years at this point, uh, For for most of my life, for most of your life. What do you think, even with that, it's just always there, most people don't get about Iraq? Because it's not just been the background for your life. Mm -hmm. It was very much the foreground of your life. (laughs) It still is, unfortunately. You still carry the war, even though you're not there anymore.
1: Um, Look, I think what a lot of Americans don't understand about Iraq is that this place has been extremely volatile um, and that we have to be sensitive to what's happening there. And you know, I have a lot of Republican friends that kind of just jumped on board with uh, uh, the the killing of Soleimani. And um, I'm not crying for the guy. I'm like the guy was a, a horrible human being and I'm glad he's dead. But you know, it's not as easy as people think that we could just do these actions without their having severe adverse reactions. If you think about it right now, two weeks ago, there's protests in the streets to try to get Iran out of Iraq, which would have been beneficial to us. Uh, and instead, now we have protests in the streets against us, the United States. I
0: wonder if you had this experience of, of being there. And, and d- before we get into more on this, yeah. just how is it that you end up in Iraq? What's the, that pathway? Because it's not... How is it path- I ended up in Iraq? Yeah. <laughs> that you personally, not the United States.
1: Well, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not a, a very linear way to do it. But basically, I got kicked out of Harvard. Uh, so when I joined the Marine Corps... Uh, finished my training, went back to school. why did you kick kicked out of Harvard? Oh, I may have gone to a little too many fraternity parties. <laughs> 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 went, joined the Marine Corps for uh, you know uh, for a year, but not a year for uh, becoming reservist. So I went, did my boot camp, did my school infantry training, reapplied uh, to Harvard, and they sent me back. And then uh, was you know in the reserves at Harvard, got activated once, sent to Japan. Uh, eventually got moved to uh, New Mexico and uh, joined a unit there. And as soon as I signed in, they said, hey, by the way, uh, in come January, you're going to Iraq. And that was it. So I ended up meeting up with a group of guys from uh, Ohio, actually. Uh, and that's how I ended up in Iraq.
0: When you signed up for the Marines, was that to get through that bump in the road at Harvard? Or was that uh, with the thought that you actually might end up in combat?
1: Well, both. I had always wanted to be in the Marine Corps, and I should have actually gone to the Marine Corps first and then to college. But, you know, I got a scholarship, and it was, you know, once you get accepted at Harvard and you have a scholarship, it's going to be very hard to tell your family, like, hey, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps first. And <laughs> that was, my mom would have killed me. Uh, and so that's why when I enlisted, I enlisted first, then called her, because that way I couldn't back out at that point. Uh, and I, I joined the infantry, so I always assumed at some point that I would be in, in combat or some form of combat. I mean, that's what the Marine Corps infantry does. And... Um, that
0: was it. And when I was uh, starting out in college, my mother wanted me to do ROTC because she thought that would be a good way to pay the bills. And <laughs> I remember saying this was in the late nineties. Well, I, what if something goes wrong right. and I get sent to fight? And she said nothing's going to happen. Uh, that's it's contemporaneous with what, what yeah. you were going through, but you were ready to go fight. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I was. I just want to be clear. I was not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're going to join the Marine Corps and if you're going to join inf- be an infantryman, you have to have that mentality. That's going to happen. You don't want it to happen though either. Like I never wanted to see combat. I never, you know, I I, I would have been glad to never have fired a bullet at all. Um, and unfortunately, it, it it is what it is.
0: The day by day experience of consuming what was happening in the news. Uh, were there times where you would see something that was being talked about, something like this? It's a big event, uh, and then knowing that that's going to affect your day-to-day experience. It, it's difficult to say. We were fairly shut off. Um,
1: we weren't on a base that had a, a radio, a, like a, any type of satellite TV, um, and most of the time was actually patrolling uh, out in the in the towns. Uh, I do remember one time. I was in a house. Uh, we, we, were, we were clearing this town of insurgents. And what happens back in the day when you were done for the night, you, it's, it's called going firm. You'd go take over a house, offer money to the, uh, uh, the occupants, tell them they can stay or they can go. It's, it's their call. And then you basically barricade yourself in so that way you don't get uh, infiltrated at night by the insurgents. And uh, this one family had satellite TV. And so we turned it on and, uh, you know, we were watching... I can't remember what it was, but it was like BBC or something like that. And I think it was Rumsfeld was talking about how the war was going great. And I'm like surrounded by eight dudes, 10, ten Iraqi ING. And we had just had like a, you know, a hard day of fighting. And I, I literally like threw my shoe at the TV. <laughs> it was just like, like come on, can this be any crazier? And then we switched to, what is that race? The Amazing Race, you know, that, that contest? And I actually saw one of my freaking college friends on that show, and he was crying because he's having such a hard day. And then I threw my other shoe at the TV. <laughs> it's was just like, this is just not going well.
0: And so what year is that? It's, uh,
1: 2005.
0: Yeah. So really at the, the height of what is done, Donald Runchell doing? And, yeah. And, uh,
1: this is post, post Fallujah, but pre the surge. So yeah. my area actually was north of Fallujah. So they, when they pushed out all the insurgents out of Fallujah, they pushed them into my area. Fun times.
0: There's a day that obviously stands out for uh, the worst reasons when your, your friend, uh, your mm-hmm. best friend was killed. Yep. Uh, his name is Jonathan Grant. Yep. W- what, do, what do you remember about him? What kind of guy was he? Oh, man. Huh, you're going to make me cry.
1: Uh, he was a great guy. I mean, he was the most amazing uh, human being and kindest human being in the world. When I joined the unit in New Mexico, I was actually... Uh, not in the best shape I had had messed up my knee um and uh, uh was not well, I would say was not in the best shape to even go to war but I was not also gonna not go to war like when you get your order to go so Jonathan actually lived fairly near me and so uh prior to our activation um knowing that we we're gonna wreck, he'd come by and we'd work out together and he'd help me get ready you know to be in the shape that I needed to do to to go to war um
0: what why did that? why did he decide to look out for you like that
1: well because i had no friends like i had just moved to new mexico i was alone um there was nobody uh uh, no one else to to, you know that could go work out with or anything else like that and you know i think he uh you know i think we just got along great um you know this is my my son's named after him his middle name is, is grant um and, you know, even throughout the, the, the war, when things started getting really heavy, he always had this, like, smile on his face. He's always just a kind-hearted guy. Uh, used to always steal my uh, na- nanopods. I don't know what the heck, the heck they were called. back in the, the, the old MP3 players love my music. Guy can eat anything. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just one of those
0: good human beings that you
1: are very lucky to meet.
0: He was killed by a, an IED. Yeah. H- how did you find out what happened? Well, I was right
1: next to him. I was in a vehicle in front of him, and my vehicle rolled over the IED. Uh, and by protocol, if you're the vehicle behind you, you're supposed to follow our tracks. And so, for some reason, uh, it was a, a triggered IED by by plates, so it wasn't uh, man. It was an it was wasn't IED. It was like basically a landmine, huge landmine. Also, um, well, for some reason, uh, it, the 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 ID didn't go off on me; it went off on him. And my vehicle was in front, so I heard it all.
0: You heard it, but you didn't see it because you were facing the other way, right?
1: Um, yeah, I, I only saw the after effect because we were we were in our uh, the whole of our vehicle, and then I heard the pop and then the explosion, and then that's when we got out.
0: And do do you know right away? I mean, when the vehicle goes right. off,
1: yeah, where he was sitting, uh, it it was it would have. It was instantaneous, and I knew it at that point no.
0: And what happens then is you i mean, I would imagine it's hard enough to be at war it's hard mm. enough to uh, have your friend killed, but to be in that position where you knew mm-hmm. it by a split second essentially could have been you instead yeah. well we had just gotten
1: i mean prior to that, two days earlier, we had just gotten through um a full day of combat where i also lost uh two other platoon members and i think six six men were injured uh i was actually in a different part of town fighting insurgents uh where that where um, these guys were and uh over the radio we i had heard actually that grant had died in that situation um and until i fought my way back to base and i saw him you know i was so happy to see he was alive and then Two days later, he's dead. It's uh, very difficult.
0: I, I mean, I, it is. I think so important to hear these stories, and I know it's difficult. And I, but I think as we go into what could be more combat operations, mm-hmm. to think about the reality of this is. Uh, it seems like it is distant in people's minds to really think that these are lives, these are mm-hmm. friendships, these are. Uh, People who are there who are yeah. continue to be killed and uh, boys, it, right? Yeah, I mean these are. I mean, very, yeah, you're how old at this point?
1: Well, I was considered old. I was
0: twenty five, right? Um, and that's only because you didn't go right, right. and exactly. then get yourself yeah. kicked out of Harvard. Yeah, but I had.
1: <laughs> I mean, I had one guy named uh, Dixon in my platoon that wasn't even shaving yet, and he was uh, barely eighteen, and he died in. I think he died in the ID. Yeah, he died in the ID uh,
0: hit. There was something over the weekend after the Soleimani strike that you tweeted about, mm. uh, which caught me, you're talking about revenge. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine in that immediate aftermath of of Grant being killed and of all these other people that it catches you, you want to have revenge. Mm-hmm. You do. So how do you process that? Well, I mean, first
1: you have to understand why we even think that way. I mean, so after um, those those two days, where I you know, lost about one third of my platoon, um, then we go back to our base, and then we go back out. Um, we, we, they give us a couple days break, then we start going back out. And then every day, someone else, every other day, it sent, felt like um, someone's either shooting at us, or somebody died, or somebody got hit, um, or somebody's always trying to take you know, trying to take my life. And you'd see these IEDs that go off in the middle of like streets and surrounded by these houses. Like clearly, somebody saw this. Clearly, you know, these Iraqi villagers could have told us, or they could have like given us a warning. We had all these ways for them to actually call and uh, anonymously and give us tips. Um, you know, I remember when I one of the first firefights uh, I got into. I was walk, uh, you know, uh, going through this. Um, Road along the, the river, and all of a sudden, everyone just disappeared. And uh, as soon as that happened, they they uh, hit us with RPG and um, machine gun fire. And uh, you know they had clearly set this up for quite a while. And uh, you know they basically let us go into a an ambush. So the way you think about this is like you know they're not they're not innocent. They're now part of the enemy because they're helping out the enemy. And you just you know when you're going through these crowds, and I used to patrol through these like crowded marketplace. Uh, marketplaces you know at any point you know i they they could be there and the searches could be among those people and then you know you're you're gonna get taken or taken out by one of these guys and these people aren't gonna help you at all and you feel angry you feel you start thinking of them as as the enemy um and the way that i I, I kind of got myself out of it is just i, I try to uh, give myself some rules and the, the two rules was that I was gonna survive Um, and when I didn't think I was gonna be able to survive that I was gonna go
0: honorably and uh, that's how I did. I think that um, it's the natural human inclination to Want revenge? Mm -hmm. It's such a and and like the the basic, the stupidest way you think about it is like the way that road rage happens. Somebody cuts you off, and something you want to like. Oh, I'm gonna get in front of them. But in that situation, and it feels like that's what we're dealing with here, right? Right. That's what escalation really is, right? You got us. We're gonna get you back. We're okay. Now we're gonna get right. Is there a way that you can think of, like? breaking that cycle now that we're in it because that's what de-escalation is, right. is figuring out how to break that cycle
1: well i mean partly you know one of the other things that that helped me think about this is that you know if as a as a marine if i committed a war crime it 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 would give me personal satisfaction but only make the jobs more difficult for the rest of of the men in my unit um and you know if you're a marine the first thing they teach you is mission objective right and it's you know A war crime is by nature horrible because you're you're targeting innocent civilians and 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 you know basically going against basic rules of humanity um but it also will endanger your mission endanger your men and i think if you're someone like the iranians or president trump you really need to think about that what is the mission here right the mission of iran is pretty simple get the united states out of iraq make iraq a proxy state Uh, So that way, Iran can control uh, from Tehran all the way to the Mediterranean, a swath of land uh, that they've always wanted to control. Uh, Our objective should be to have a stable secular Iraq that is a buffer to uh, Iran. Right now, if President Trump is smart, and we'll find out pretty soon, um, our goal is to make sure that we have an ally in Iraq uh, and, um, not seek revenge, uh, and not allow the Iranians to have, uh, their goals met. Um, and if they keep that in mind, instead of the idea of like revenge on a revenge, I think, you know, uh, we could, we as the United States could probably be in a better position.
0: We're going to take a quick break and be back with more with Ruben Gaego in a minute. to pick this up a little bit and talk about uh where we were leading into this situation mm. uh, because again this talk of revenge and and what you had to do on the field and and come back at at war crimes was making me think about eddie gallagher the navy yeah. seal who yeah. uh the president uh pardoned here yeah. that has to land yeah. on your ears oh, it uh, pissed
1: me off yeah especially because he was a commander uh, you know, the, he, he was supposed to set a higher bar for himself and for his men. Uh, and, uh, you know, he targeted innocent people. He shot at uh, a girl, um, uh, that according to some of his, uh, steelmates, uh, and it got so bad that they turned him over, you know? And, um, you know, we in the military, there was mistakes that are made in combat all the time. You know, I, I one of my friends accidentally shot somebody. It was something that it was a last-minute decision but you know that happens but when you purposely target innocent people you're you're just a monster and um, the fact that this president allowed that to happen uh, and only encouraged it more than, than anything else is, is ridiculous
0: I mean it, it's the what struck me about it uh, even beyond what happened with the partners is, is what came out in, in that New York Times article that was about uh, the testimony that was offered by yeah. all the other seals? That it just seems like to get to the point where they are offering that testimony is—it's bad. Yeah, it's really bad. And and for the president of the United States
1: to basically you know let it be swept under the rug—it only encourages more types of of you know dishonorable actions like that. Um, and look, I, I I don't know where it came from. I don't know why you'd want to kill innocent people. Um, but that's not what the military is about. Um, I think it's a sad statement on our society that he is, you know, somehow made a hero uh, uh, because of this. Uh, you know, it's it's not where we want to be as a country.
0: It seems like it's on a continuum in the president's mind where he talks about uh, that being okay, pardoned Gallagher, obviously, and then talks about uh, targeting cultural sites in Iran. Mm, yeah, I mean, I mean he just you, does if you
1: he just not understand war. He just doesn't understand war. And I think he I don't think he actually has like any type of moral code. And if you have no moral code and you don't understand war, this is, you know, a perfect
0: playing ground for you. If you were out in the field and you got the order to I would target refuse. you would refuse. I would refuse. Do you think most of your I think if to target
1: innocent civilians and cultural sites, I think most most would. We're we're trained. To understand what war crimes are and have been trained to f- understand what war crimes are and i think most of them given that order would uh, not do it
0: i was talking to somebody yesterday who is uh, not uh, in politics uh, but uh, and not in government and is trying to make sense of what's going on who said what what is this what what are we doing here uh and i said well i'm not sure that, that I have the answer to that. You are a congressman. You are a veteran. You are a member of the Armed Services Committee. Do you know what's happening here? Um, I think, unfortunately, we're uh,
1: slowly, potentially escalating into a war that is unnecessary um, and one that only benefits Iran and, in the long term, China and Russia, unfortunately. Um, I think you have a lifelong goal of a bunch of neocons that have been able to get themselves into the Trump White House uh, that are trying to, you know, fulfill their... Fatalistic view of what the Middle East should be, uh, and you have somebody who's dumb enough uh, and uh, being able to be manipulated by all types of people. That 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 Trump is the person that's going to fulfill that.
0: When you think that that person who you feel that way as a veteran about is the Commander in Chief,
1: yeah, it's scary. It's scary. Look, these these men and women are going to they, they will do whatever I think is lawful uh, uh, for this president. Uh, the problem is that this president I don't think sees them as um, you know America's forces. He sees them as his forces, and he you know is going to use them uh, for whatever he believes is best for him, not for this country.
0: All of this takes place uh, inevitably within the political forum uh, because we're now in a, an election year, uh, presidential race is going on, uh, and and beyond that, it just. Uh, it was amazing to me that uh, when the Soleimani strike happened, uh, within uh, minutes, uh, of course, on on Twitter, people are uh, sounding off on what they thought happened yeah. or what they think happens now. That, that continues to be that's when when the when the base was attacked. Yeah, uh, what does that level of noise do to what's happening here? In some senses, I think it's actually
1: good. Um, You know, if you think about what was happening uh, around the Iraq war, there was this whole rush to basically make everyone that was anti-Iraq war, like the, the, you know, the bad person, the other, the Saddam sympathizer. Um, And because communication was being controlled by, you know, basically four networks and a couple of newspapers, you know, it was pretty easy to do that. Now, I think, especially because everything's 24 hours and everyone can communicate with each other for 24 hours, you have people actually having... Direct discussions about the consequences of war. And you know what? We need to be having that. Um, I'd rather have people discussing this, the pros and cons of doing this, than just like the ignorance uh, that has been occurring for the last uh, 18 years that has basically kept us in these endless wars. I'd rather have people talking about it, having strong debate about it. Uh, so that way we don't end up just kind of, you know, fighting uh, each other, banning the Dixie chicks and, you know, getting rid of. You know french fries from cafeterias remember all that stupid stuff yeah it
0: was the house cafeteria
1: that's The house, yeah. freedom we, fries right we actually that's not a vote
0: that's coming up on the house no, floor
1: <laughs> but we literally did that um and so i'm glad that we're having this the, this this conversation i'm glad that you know both sides are having this conversation and and you know conservatives are, are just as engaged in the idea of limiting the power of the presidency when it comes to war um as as Democrats and or, or as liberals, so I'm glad to see that we're having this conversation. so i'm i'm not I'm not uh mad that you know people automatically got in i'm and started talking about. It. I think that's a good thing.
0: Have you heard from Republican colleagues that feel like there is a an inclination to put a break on what's going on here or, uh, because it seems like a lot of the public discourse is very supportive of of the president and what he's doing Uh, from, from Republicans Republicans. in Congress.
1: You know, there was prior to the bombing, um, you know, we're we're all just getting back in session. So we'll have to talk to them. But I think the, you know, I think they'd be willing to, to help us curtail this power, but they're certainly not going at the same time trash the president. Um, so you'll, you'll see like the, Good thing he did this, but kind of, of stuff, yeah.
0: There, there was a, a thing that went around, these memes of uh, World War Three, and all these people saying, yeah. oh, right. Yeah. Like, what would you say to people who are doing this?
1: Eh, calm down. <laughs> this is not, number one, you have to prepare yourself. A war with Iran will be a totally different world war that we know. I mean, we could basically destroy their Navy, destroy uh, every air, you know, piece of uh, aircraft uh, platform they have, and we would still be at war. Right, what would it
0: mean to be at war? Like, Because we're not there now, no. but you think we could get there. What's the, the- The trigger? Yeah. I mean,
1: traditionally, the triggers for the United States are our, our basic principles that we've always kind of held, which is you know, back our allies up, freedom of navigation of the water system. So if they try to close the Strait of Hormuz is a good example- um, there's a lot of things, but it won't be
0: Congress voting a declaration of war. I
1: don't, I don't believe so, but yeah. war, you know, when, whenever you one when country tries to kill another country, uh, men with the intent, uh, that's war. And, uh, so
0: a, a base being fired on is not war.
1: Of course. I mean, it, it's a hard situation we're talking about. So a base being fired on, uh, with no intent to kill anybody, is probably an, oper- an, uh, an opportunity for us to de-escalate this. So as I was telling you, al-Assad's a massive base. And we're pretty sure that they that there was a heads up that this was coming. And um, and hopefully this is a time to de-escalate. But what I'm trying to say is if we go to war with Iran, it's not going to be a bunch of men and, uh, and women facing off on a line. The way Iran's going to hurt us is they're just going to use their proxies all over the world, terrorist actions, to basically put such a terror and fear as well as just, uh, you know, you know, cyber attacks, all these other things that are just basically going to harm us in ways that we are not going to be able to stop, uh, and that's why people, in my opinion, don't, aren't getting this idea of World War um, Three. Right. That's just it's overboard, uh, but doesn't mean that you know our war with Iran wouldn't be painful.
0: But uh, cyber attacks—is is that a war? I, that's the that's the tricky thing here. That, yeah. like, at some point we could be in a war if we're not there now. There are people who are calling this a war already, right? right?
1: I, what is it? Well, I think what you have to figure out is not what it is, but how to get out of it. So let's say we can't define what war is, but you know, that things are bad. Let's get out of it. And the way to do that is through de-escalation, right? And so uh, how does that occur? Well, you have the president uh, through back channels conveyed to Iran, like, hey, we're all going back to our corners. Uh, you know, no, no more uh, funny business uh, back and forth, and then we 'll move from there. The focus uh, should be on trying to bring this down, not necessarily just to define it
0: it 's January two thousand and twenty. When do you think that we would see the end of this What
1: is this <laughs> I, I, that's what I keep asking you <laughs> look I, I I wish I could tell you i mean i if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I thought that we were in a situation. That we were going to be fairly, uh, I I was fairly confident that we were going to be able to pull out out of Iraq uh, sooner. You had the Iraqi civilians that were out there protesting, trying to get rid of Iran uh, influence. Um, They were asking for, um, you know, more transparency and less corruption government. If you do those two things, um, you know, we basically can pull out of there. Uh, And now, I don't know.
0: So let's close with this. I'll ask it again. You are a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Mm. do you feel any less confused and uncertain than Americans at large feel at this point?
1: I guess, you know, for me, this is kind of normal. Um, I mean, if you are ever uh, in war, like I was, like, you were just, you just get so used to chaos um, and ambiguity
0: chaos like this i mean when you sell that letter that uh was yeah. released by the iraqi parliament that then the american military says is a draft letter doesn't that as 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 a former marine yeah <laughs> i guess you're never a former you, marine as someone who was in yeah. combat uh and is no longer how about that good. uh but carries it with you uh as someone who is on the armed services committee making decisions that relate to this, when you see the military doing that. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's,
1: it's scary, but let me tell you, like the, there were dumb in the in the war when I was there too. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, like I ended up um, clearing the same village four times, you know, because somehow one general decided to move us from one place and didn't secure that place. I mean, you know, this, you know, we have some of the best minds that are in the Pentagon. But we also have some of the dumbest minds in the Pentagon. And the question is, who's in charge of that day? Um, you know, it, my job is to do the best I can for my constituents and to protect, definitely, our armed services. Uh, and you know, while it may be chaotic, it, you know, I need to keep going. I need to do my job um, and recognize that, you know, this is, especially under this administration, this, is, this will happen a lot more often.
0: So, of between the best minds and the dumbest minds of the Pentagon, who seems to be in charge right now? Well, at this point, that's the, the biggest problem. Um, I can't
1: tell you who who's in charge. Um, I, I don't know who the president's talking to. I don't know who the president's giving uh, advice. Um, and I think that's very, very scary. I think we. I would rather have a president that has a definitive circle of friends. Um, that could give him advice uh, but you know the problem at the end of the day is that you have a president that is just not ready for this job you know president trump's not ready to do this and he, he's not uh, intellectually or emotionally equipped to really be the president of the united states and deal with war in a way uh, that separates his personal feelings from what is the best interest of this country and our, and our armed
0: services All right. Well, we'll leave it on that happy note.
1: Happy note, yes. (laughs) Happy New Year.
0: (laughs) Congressman Ruben Gallego, thank you for being here on (laughs) Radio Atlantic. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for this week of Radio Atlantic. Thanks to Kevin Townsend for producing and editing this episode, and to Catherine Wells, the executive producer for Atlantic Podcasts. Our theme music is the Battle Hymn of the Republic, as interpreted by John Baptiste. And if you want to support the show, and all the work we do here at The Atlantic, the best way is with a subscription. Just go to theatlantic.com slash radio subscribe. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.